Welcome to Everything Co-op, bringing you information on how cooperatives can help improve your quality of life. This show is being sponsored by the National Co-op Bank, NCB. The NCB is dedicated to strengthening communities nationwide for the delivery of banking and financial services for the nation's cooperatives, their members, and other socially responsible organizations. For more information on the power of community ownership, visit ncb.coop. That's ncb.coop. Now stay tuned for your host, Vernon Oaks. Good morning, everybody. We welcome you this morning to Everything Cooperative. You know, we talk about the values and the benefits of co-ops, and this is why the National Cooperative Bank is sponsoring this program. Um, you know, um, Chuck Snyder, we're on the program. He's the president of NCB. He said that co-ops are nothing but people helping people. And we want to talk today, focus on President Obama's speech in Selma, Alabama, commemorating the 50th anniversary of the uh, Selma March to Montgomery. Uh, you know, this was a powerful speech if you had not had the opportunity to listen to it. And he ended the speech by saying, he quoted the prophet Isaiah, those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on the wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. You know, he went on to say, we honor those who walked so we could run. They walked 50 years ago in Selma so we could run. We must run so our children soar, he said, so our children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren can soar. And we will not grow weary, for we believe in the power of an awesome God, and we believe in this country's sacred promise. And he talked a lot in that speech about we the people, the Declaration of Independence, we the people. Now, what does all of this have to do with co-ops? It says people helping people, we the people. Chuck Snyder said it on his program about a year ago, we the people. We are people helping people. That's what co-ops are all about, that promise of our Declaration of Independence. We the people, we the people, in order to form a more perfect union, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. That's what he said on the bridge, right below the bridge in Selma. A lot of emphasis was on we, we. Co-ops, voluntary and open membership doesn't make any difference what your gender is or your race is, what your religion is, your height, your weight. It just doesn't make any difference. It's we the people. That's why I love co-ops. I find that co-ops are is an organization. It's an economic organization that can help us realize the American dream. We the people working together. What I found out in managing housing co-ops is that those co-ops that function and strive and are highly successful, they are co-ops where the members and the board of directors make decisions that are best for the people. Not what's necessarily best for an individual, not what's necessarily best for a particular family, but what's the, what is the decision that is best for the majority of the people? And that's through a democratic. The second 
value of a co-op is that democratic member control. If you really want to practice democracy, because we talk about democracy in the U.S., but if you look at most of our our systems, most of our organizations, it's more in a hierarchy that you have somebody on top who makes the decisions and then tell the people below what the decisions are. If you take most corporations in America, uh, you, you have a president or executive director. You may have a board of directors. They supposedly tell the, the, the management, the president and the executive director, what to do. But most of the day-to-day decisions are, are taken on by that management. And then that management tells the people what it is that they're going to do on a day-to-day basis. It goes down from the president to vice president and perhaps directors and then supervisors, and then it gets down to the people. It gets passed on. Too often, the people on the bottom line, the people that are workers, the everyday people, have very little say in what goes on in the company. Too often, their voices are not heard. They might be heard with unions, and that was, to me, why unions were formed, so that the people could have a voice and the management could not just make the people do whatever. But most corporations do not follow the creed of we the people. They're they're not formed that way. But co-ops are. Co-ops are mostly developed, and most of the co-ops that you have heard on this program, they were formed by three, four, five, twelve people. Uh, Harriet May came on. She came on. She was she started off as a teller and ended up being the president of this uh, financial institution, which we know about, but most often we don't know that they are cooperatives, and that's credit unions. She was in Texas. And she said this co-op was formed by five people. And I think they put $10 each. They put some money in, and now it's millions and millions of dollars that they have in their assets. They started with $50, if, I, if my memory is correct. But the point I'm trying to make is with some people got together, formed an organization called a credit union because there were no banks were loaning the people in this town, the everyday people, money. Because if you know most banks, if you've gone in to get a loan, when you need it most, you may not have money to pay your rent, you may not have money to buy food, they won't loan you any money. The reason they don't loan you money is most banks, they're looking, most banks are interested in three things. Will you pay the money back? Will you pay the money back? And the third one is, will you pay the money back? And they look to see if you have assets. They look to see if you have land and property, real estate, or art, or cars. What what kind of assets do you have so that if you don't pay the money back, they can go grab it and get their money? It, so they formed, there was a need so that when they needed money, they could go somewhere. They could everybody pool in their money starting off with $50 and get other people to pool their money so that when somebody needed some money, they could go in there and get it, whether they had assets or not, because most of the people in there knew people. And so they made loans on the character of the individual more so than on the cash or the assets of the individual. And you find that most credit unions are highly successful because people, we the people, are making decisions about people, their character. Will they pay the loan back? 
It's based on their character. It's based on do they honor their word? Do they have character? Do they have integrity? Not do they have assets? So this speech that President Obama made on March the 7th in Selma, almost a month ago, about what happened 50 years ago. He talked about John Lewis. He said that John Lewis led the people out of the church. He was a young man then. John Lewis is the only one alive today that spoke in the March on Washington. He led the people out. He said he had a snapsack that was stocked with an apple, a toothbrush, and a book on government. I thought John Lewis would have had a Bible, but he had a book on government. How does this government work? How should it work for we the people? He said that's exactly what he needed for a night in jail or a week in jail, however long he was going to be there. So he could read up on how this government should work for the people. Um, it's amazing that these Americans, knowing that they're going to get hit in the head, knowing that blood was going to happen, knowing that somebody was going to be hurt, maybe killed, and go to jail, that they still walked across that bridge. I was 17 at the time, 50 years ago. I was 17 years old. I was a high school student in Bluefield, West Virginia, and there was no question in our family about anybody going to Samuel, Alabama to do that march. As a matter of fact, that year I got a scholarship to Clark College in Atlanta, Alabama, and my mother would not let me take that. I think she may have saved my life. I don't know because I would have probably been there in the marches and maybe flunked out of school. Ended up going to Kentucky State for one semester. Didn't have any money, so I came back home and eventually graduated from Bluefield State College. You know, learning, but I didn't learn about co-ops anywhere in my education. I didn't learn a lot about African-American. I learned so little about African-American history, in, even in getting an education in historically black college. I did not know about African-American history or African history. It's only been in the last 20 years that I've learned about co-ops. And I'm excited about what they do. I'm excited about the possibilities of how people, how they're formed for people, they're formed by people, and the decisions that are made are for the benefit of people in the organization and not benefiting somebody that does not live in the community. You know, that most shareholders, in most corporations that we, I talked about a minute ago, they are owned by shareholders. Those shareholders could, if the organization was, the business was in Ohio, the shareholders could be in New York, California, Japan, China. They could be anywhere in the world. And most of the teaching that I had in the MBA program, most of the teaching was how do you get a return on investment for the shareholder? Not what do you do that's best for the employees or what's best for the customer, but what's best for the shareholder. Now, often you'd find out you could do something that's good for the employee that's good for the shareholder, and you could do something good for providing a better product. But also too often those short-sighted visions of how do you get a better return 
on investment for the shareholder would cause for poor decisions for the employees and potential customers. So too often in a, in a model of the stockholder, you know, too often there were poor decisions made. Now, all companies didn't do this all the time, and there was you can find companies that made great decisions for the employees. So, you know, you get you get all kinds of different, but too often you'd have decisions that were bad decisions for the employees. In a co-op, the decisions, particular worker co-op, you get decisions that are best for the employees, probably first on the agenda, then what's best for the customer and the shareholders are the customer. The shareholders are the employees in a lot of situations. So you you get all, all kinds of different, you get better decisions for the individual, the people, we the people. Now, you know, we're going to be right back. Uh, we have to take a break. And if any of you out there would like to call in, if you have a comment or a question, please call in at 1-800-450-7876. That's 1-800-450-7876. And we're going to take a break for the news uh, traffic. And we'll be right back to talk to you more about cooperatives and the march on SEMA. Be right back. When the glory comes, it will be ours. It will be ours. Oh, one day when the war is won, we will be sure. We will be Glory. You know, one day when the war is won, it is a a war to help to realize the American dream. It's a war in the Selma. Martin Luther King was nonviolent war. It was a war against the status quo. It was a war against the people in power, which was better known in the South, better seen in the South than in the North. It was still in the North, but it was a quieter war. Their discrimination was not as blatant. Um, you did not have necessarily, I didn't, when I would visit my cousins in New York, I didn't see the color only signs uh, for the drinking fountains. So, so, you know, this, this is a tremendous war, and the glory of it is that we won that war through nonviolent protests. And this morning on the line, we have Ronald. Ronald, good morning. Yes, good morning. How are you doing today? I'm great, sir. How are you doing? Uh, great. Uh, listening to your show is usually I uh, was called in because I um, uh, have a cooperative called the Positive Change Purchasing Cooperative. And... Uh, I had, uh, I had call, I, I normally listen to the show, it's an outstanding show, and you indicated to me that once I had the meeting date concerning the meeting, uh, uh, the upcoming meeting on May 13th at the D.C. Taxicab Commission, uh, where we'll be having an amendment, uh, which will be uh, changing the, uh, to amend the law, so leasing companies will be able to provide uh, leasing uh, purchasing options for taxi cab and limousine companies and independent drivers. So I just wanted to call you call call in and let you know I did have the date. 
in time for the meeting and uh, uh, get back in contact. Well, Ronald, let's, Ronald, let's go back and, and describe the problem um, so that everybody out there know. So the, from what I understood from the last time you called in, that the D.C., you have to own the taxi. You can't lease it, um, the taxi. Is that right? No, that's not what the what is it? problem is. The D.C. government uh, has effectively passed new uh, mandates, which affected uh, uh, the age on the vehicle, uh, which means you have to put a, a new vehicle on the street if, if, uh, because of the uh, vintage law that has been put in place. Age on Taxi Act, uh, Taxi Cab Section 602, and Section 20, Accessibility Amendment of 2012, requiring taxi cab companies in D.C. to, in fact, have to put a certain percentage of vehicles in their fleet must be wheelchair accessible. So these mandates have been put in place, and they're as well as the requirement, if you're putting a new vehicle on, it must be a hybrid vehicle. So that being said, there is uh, the companies who are registered and they're doing business inside of Washington, D.C., uh, whether it be limo or taxi cab companies, they don't have the options of using commercial leases as they as the same way that's provided in other major cities around the country. And by using a commercial lease, you get 100% tax write-off under the IRS code. So they lose that benefit and numerous other benefits that come along with leasing contracts. So that is the nature of the problem. And we have been able to file an amendment, which there will be a hearing on May 13th uh, at the D.C. Taxi Cab Commission. The uh, hearing starts at 10, from 10 to 12, and people will be able to weigh in and testify because this will change the game. This will give cab companies, limo companies, and independent owner operators an opportunity to use leasing contracts to purchase new vehicles to put, be put into to the tax cab and limousine industry inside Washington, D.C. But, you know, what I said earlier was that the law says that you can't lease. So that's what I just heard you say now, too, that you can't do yeah, commercial that's, leasing. That's, yeah, that's the bottom line. You cannot use commercial leasing. To, so, so what is your, your cooperative, the Positive Change Purchasing Co-op? What do, what do you do in that co-op, and who are the members? Well, the, the, I'm the acting CEO and the manager. We really have not started formulating our membership base as of yet because we have to, in fact, get this law amended to be able to, as you would say, jumpstart what the, uh, our, our organization, because our sole purpose is to try to help get financing for those companies who were charged with purchasing these wheelchair-accessible vans, which run about $60,000. And there was supposed to be grants and tax incentives put in place, uh, but that got left out of the bill. 
So the companies sort of were left high and dry. And we were coming in to sort of fill that void, as well as the new vintage mandates requiring drivers have to put on hybrid vehicles, especially the older drivers who simply don't have the money, the down payments. So this is a gives them another option. It's much cheaper on the front end on a commercial lease with the down uh, it's as we say the down payments in entering into a commercial lease with the monies that you need up front. Okay, I, I got it, Ronald. Listen, uh, I want to talk a little bit more about this one. Um, so here, here's what I have is that there is a problem because one of the gentlemen that, that one of the gentlemen that came on said that if there's no problem, there's no need for a co-op. If there's no community problem, and a community problem, so I can I can understand how the district government, the council could have have voted in such laws, laws of the, the the vehicle has to be of certain age because there was some some taxis I'd gotten into in the past and that they were pretty run down and uh, smelly and smoking and everything. So I could see how they would want that. I could see how they would want some wheelchair accessible. Uh, I could see why they would want hybrids. Um, but I don't see why they would say no commercial leases. That, that makes no sense to me. I can see because they're putting these laws into effect that they would say we're going to give grants and tax incentives, but you said that got left out of, of the bill. So that, oh, you say older drivers, or it could even be newer drivers, the problem might be that you may have drivers out there that make a living with taxis, and they now cannot make a living because their vehicle's too old, is not a hybrid, um, not wheelchair accessible, none of these things, and they don't have the down payment to go buy one of these things. They, they just don't they don't they don't have the money so they get they lose their ability to make a living uh that could be somebody that somebody that's that's older that has been doing this or it could be somebody that um has is wanting to get into it they can't get into the business and it could be a lucrative business with it with the um amount of people that come into the district both for government and for um touring so it could be a very, very lucrative business, but now they're out. So you've created a cooperative um, that would be for the people. Now, is this would probably be, it could be a worker cooperative or a consumer cooperative. Well, well, we've said it, put it together as a purchasing cooperative because what we've been able to do, we're working directly with the manufacturer, uh, uh, one of the major manufacturers out of, Akron, Ohio, that does the manual modifications for for the major automobile manufacturers. So by doing that and and having the leasing company that does the financing working through our cooperative, and they, we have been able to get some great terms for the companies and the drivers. And we've been able to get some very, very large discounts on the price of those vehicles because these wheelchair accessible vehicles they start around sixty thousand dollars. Yes, so so I get that, and I, this is why the co-op can be so so good. Um, so you know, you get you get uh, by buying in volume, you end up getting that. Uh, you can get great terms. You buy in volume for a number of people. The individual going to buy one, it would be he would pay the sixty. 
But if you can buy 10 or 20 or 100 of these vehicles, then you might be able to get it for 50 or even 45,000. So you can get a much better, much better deal by buying in volume, and that's what the purchasing co-ops are all about. We've had a purchasing co-op on uh, here at CPA um, Consumer Purchasing Alliance, I believe it's what it's called, Cooperative Purchasing Alliance. And that's been mostly churches and nonprofits getting together to buy uh, gas, and this is gas to heat up the homes, uh, trash collection, um, insurance. They buy from Ace Hardware, which is a cooperative. So they end up getting a better price when they, you know, get you get 50 churches buying, you get a much better price than you get one. And we had a lady online that was a church of 100 uh, people, very, very small church, and they were able to get much, much better prices. But also because they work in this co-op, when other things happen, uh, when other maintenance problems happen or or government kinds of problems come up that they change the laws, then people can band together and they can go together, like in this case, down to the D.C. Taxi Commission uh, so that that on May the 13th, they're having a hearing about this from 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. And I have no sense of why they would not allow commercial leasing. That makes no sense to me because it doesn't make it. It should not make a difference to the D.C. government about how the person buys the, the, the vehicle, but only that it's the kind of vehicle they want. We'll be right back. Please don't touch that dial. 1450 WOL. Hands to the heavens, no man, no weapon. Formed against, yes, glory is destined. Everyday women and men become legends. Sins that go against our skin become blessings. The movement is a rhythm to us. Freedom is like religion to us. Justice is juxtaposition in us. Justice for all just ain't specific enough. One son died, the spirit is revisiting us. True and living, living in us. Resistance is us. That's why Rosa sat on the bus. That's why we walk through Ferguson with our hands up. When it go down, we woman and man up. They say stay down, and we stand up. Shots, we on the ground. The camera panned up. King pointed to the mountaintop, and we ran up. One day. That's a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful song. It really captures the Selma. It captures Selma. It captures the American dream. It's not just about black folks. It's all about all of us. Freedom and justice. Freedom is a religion to us. Freedom, freedom, freedom. How do we get freedom? Uh, President Obama said, it is the ideal held by generations of citizens who believe that America is a constant work in progress. It's a constant work in progress who believe that loving this country requires more than singing its praises or avoiding uncomfortable truth. It requires the, the occasional disruption, the willingness to speak out for what is right, to shake up the status quo. That's America. The National Co-op Bank is sponsoring this program. You know, it really wants us to talk about the benefits of cooperatives. And what I really, really love about co-ops are that that is the way of living the American dream. It's a way of people coming together to form an organization to solve some community problem. And Ronald, who was on earlier, started a cooperative 
to solve the problem of taxi cab drivers who may not have the money to go put down the down payment for a $60,000 automobile. He might be able to get it for 50000 if he gets enough people together. He might be able to get a commercial lease for the 50 units if they're 50000 each. And then they pay, they have a very little down, might be one month one month of the cost down, four, five, six hundred dollars $600. So as opposed to 10% down, $6,000 or 20% down, $12,000. So he's bringing people together to solve a, a problem, and it's a taxi cab problem, in Washington, D.C. He's bringing people together, and this is what this is what it's all about. This is why people came to Selma to solve a problem. It's a much bigger problem. It's a much it's a problem that, that was all across the U.S. The problem that Ronald was talking about is right here in the district. And it's a solvable problem, and they're going to be meeting on May the 13th from 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. If you have, do want to come down and talk to the Taxi Cab Commission, then you might do that. You may find yourself to do that. And I may be there. I don't like injustice anywhere. Martin Luther King talked about that. You know, if you have it anywhere, injustice anywhere, then it's it's upon us to go out and try to solve that injustice. But no matter where it is, and President Obama talked about how the civil rights movement helped to people all over the world to come together, no matter where that might have been, Mostly young people coming together to fight the injustice. Uh, but in Selma, they were old and young, white and black, rich or poor, Christians or Jews, coming together to fight an injustice. Love the co-op model for, for that reason and really like NCB's mission. Their mission is to help cooperatives grow by supporting and being an advocate for America's cooperatives and their members placing special emphasis on serving the needs of communities that are economically challenged. Can you imagine how hard that is for a banker? Talked about it earlier, for a banker to go into communities that are economically challenged because in those communities, black communities, brown communities, poor folk. I grew up in Appalachia in West Virginia. All of West Virginia is considered Appalachia. Most of West Virginia is poor, uh, no matter what the race. Most West Virginia, the working people, coal fields, railroad, working on construction, and just did not have, and too often the, the profits went out of West Virginia because the shareholders that owned the mining companies or the railroad companies didn't live in West Virginia. So too often, you know, here's how it goes. In economic class, I learned that when you have money that if you take your money and go to the grocery store in that community, then it turns one time. Then if that grocery store owner goes and gets their car fixed in that community, it turns a second time. And if a car dealer goes, either buys groceries or go to the cleaning company or put their money in the bank, you got a third time. And in some communities, those wealthy communities, the money might turn eight times. In African-American communities, it was one, two, three times. <laughs> okay. It just didn't turn that much. So wealth did not stay in the community. Same thing when you get a shareholder who makes their money in West Virginia 
or Southeast DC and they live in New York or California or again like China or Japan, that money doesn't even turn in the community. It goes right out of the community. The labor, the money from the laborers may turn once or twice, but too often they'll go out of the community to buy a car. They'll go out of the community to buy groceries. There may not be grocery stores there. We had somebody on, they call it a, a, a food uh, desert. There's, you have to go 5, 10 miles to buy groceries or fresh groceries. You may have a convenience store, you know, it sells candy and soda pops and stuff like that, but you don't have a place you can go buy nutritional foods. So co-ops have come in to those areas. You have co-op groceries that will come into those areas. You get people in the area say, we, we want good nutritional food. We want fresh greens, okay? And I don't want to drive 10 miles away to get that. I want it within a mile or two miles of where, where I live. And so a, they form a food co-op. And the National Co-op Bank has worked with the the food grocery organization to help seed monies to start co-ops. Okay. So they're wanting to start these food co-ops and these food deserts. Um, you know, we have a wonderful, highly intelligent president who has a lot that he has to, to do. You know, and he talked about what happened in Ferguson at his speech in Selma, New York, Cleveland. You know, he says that you have to change the laws. We can roll back poverty and erode blocks to opportunities with efforts like Selma, with marching, peaceful resistance. We can roll back poverty. We had Dame Pauline Green, who is the president of the International Organization on Cooperatives, CAI. So she said that cooperatives stops poverty. It gives it gives people a, a chance to come out of poverty with dignity, is what she said come out of poverty with dignity. And we had another gentleman on this program, a Mr. Jim Joseph, who was the ambassador to South Africa. He said that most of the U.S. programs, whether it's food stamps, uh, Section 8 for housing vouchers that they give, or um, when you, you get um, money under TANF or some other thing. So all of those programs... They help people to to stay alive, and that's great, to survive. It has a benefit. It has a wonderful benefit. The problem with it, from my view, is it doesn't give people the ability to get any sense of wealth. It doesn't give people the ability to make any money. It doesn't give people the ability to get knowledge. Again, they have wonderful, wonderful in that they keep people alive, but not to strive. And when Dame Pauline Green talks about co-ops gives people 
the ability to come out of poverty with dignity, the co-op gives people knowledge. Everyday people, same that walk the bridge at Selma. Everyday people, it gives people the ability to get knowledge. It gives people ability to get a return on their investment. They have to make an investment. If it's in a housing co-op, it may be the down payment, which might be the same as security deposit. And they'll get an interest return on that. Or if the cooperative makes money, has a profit, then the board and the members can decide how much of that money stays in the housing co-ops to replace roofs or windows or whatever needs to be done. They need to keep savings into the co-op for future spending. Or it may need to keep money in the cooperative if they wanted to build on or maybe there's a 200-unit co-op and they want to grow it to 300 units. Or if they wanted to add a tennis court or swimming pool or any other capital improvements, they may want to save money. But again, if there's any money left over after their projects, I call it their wish list, after if there's money left over from what they have, they have earned that year, then they could give it back in the form of dividends. So a co-op, and we're talking about the fourth principle, no, the third principle of, of the cooperative, and that's members' economic participation. Members, for the most part, will put money in so they can become a member. And if there's, and they get money back, they can get interest off for what they put in, and they can get dividends. And more often than not, the cost of the product or service is less than what you could get on the marketplace for a market rate co-op or a condominium or an apartment building. So members' economic participation is the third principle of cooperative. And if a, if a cooperative is really, if it's a cooperative, it's going to follow these principles. Members' economic participation. So cooperatives is people helping people. It's people joining a co-op, everyday people, and they can come out of poverty with dignity, with dignity, heads held high. They have knowledge. They're making decisions. They have control over their life. Um, the fourth principle of a cooperative is autonomy and independence. Um, this one's a very, very important one, and one I really, really like, is that they have they own it and they control it. Control it. They have autonomy and independence. When Donald called in about his co-op, the, the positive change purchasing cooperative, that, and he's a, in the management, the CEO and the manager of it, when they get formed, they get this law change, then they'll have members, the people that will come in to buy their cab through this organization or lease it through this organization. Those members are the ones that have ownership if it's a purchasing co-op and control. They make decisions. This cooperative model is fascinating. It's wonderful. If you really want to talk about it, if you have any questions about how to start one, uh, you can call in at 1-800-450-7876. You know, it's not easy to start one of these, and we'll talk about that when we come back. There's hard work because we're talking about attitudinal changes, not only education for knowing how to run a business, 
but for how to have the right attitude and working together so you can make decisions that's best for the organization. We, the people, we'll be right back. Please don't touch that down. Okay. Glory, every time I hear that song, I get inspired. It's kind of like a mixed blessing to to go through and think about all of those people on that bridge in Selma 50 years ago that, that were beat with sticks and horses ran over them and tear gas. It, it just made those images, and I, I was able to look at them on a TV that was a round TV. You, most of you don't know about those now with flat screens, but, and it was very fuzzy. It was not a good, clear picture. Definitely did not have HD. Um, I recall when we first got our first TV, as a matter of fact, Miss Johnson up the street had gotten her TV, and we used to go up and watch it. And then eventually we got a TV, and eventually we got a telephone. And when we got a telephone, it was party line. You could listen to other people on the, on the television, I mean on the, on the um, telephone. But a lot has changed since those 50 years. A lot has changed, a lot has changed for the betterment. And we still have racism. Ferguson, New York, I can't breathe. We still have people in power that would take advantage of people that have little power. What what I under what I understand though is that through working in cooperatives, you can work together. It doesn't make any difference of your race your religion. It just doesn't make it if you can learn how to work together. It's hard getting there. Um, the first week I had this program, I had a lady on board. I asked, co-ops are so great. Why aren't there many more? And she said, it's hard work. The benefits are awesome, fantastic in every aspect of one's life, but it is hard work. And most people I know that they're, they're not afraid of hard work. So if you want to start one, we can we can help you. We can put you in the right place. But right now we have Pat on the line. Pat, do you have a comment or question? Um, yes, uh, folks. I, I've been thinking about starting a cooperative, and I wondered, one, if you know of any resources that I can use to start a cooperative, and two, you talked about attitudinal changes being one of the main factors in starting a co-op. And kind of alluded to the whole concern with fear of change. And I wondered um, your take on, on that obstacle and the resources that are available. Thank you. Yeah. You know, there, there are a number of resources out there. You could, you could Google worker co-ops. And, and so let me take a moment to talk to you about the different kinds of co-ops. Um, the Definition of a cooperative is any business that you can think of can be a cooperative. It really gets to ownership and control. It really gets to ownership and control. So uh, if you have a cooperative that's owned by the employees, it's called a worker co-op. And there's a U.S. Federation of Worker Cooperatives. If you just Google them, you can get their um, 
webpage and go on, and they will talk to you about the different kinds of tools. They have webinars. They 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 are they have a different videos on, and they can help send somebody out to help you start your co-op. Um, if it's owned by the people that use the products or services, it's called a consumer cooperative. Uh, credit unions, housing co-ops, which we've been talking about, in the housing co-op, the people that live there own it. And so they use the housing, they use the building, they use the townhouses, whatever is there. You can also have single-family housing co-ops. Uh, so you get you get the consumers that want to use the co-op, it's called a consumer co-op. And what Donald talked about is a purchasing co-op. They come together to purchase goods, and farmers have used this a long time to buy their crops, their seeds, their fertilizer, whatever they need, gasoline, whatever they need to run a co-op. They may buy a, some smaller co uh, farmers may buy a large tiller or a large piece of equipment together and use it. Um, so that's a purchasing co-op. And then there's a marketing co-op. And that's if you, if you create products and you want to sell them together. Artists, we had somebody on last week talking about artists cooperatives um, so that they can, they can create their paintings or their music or whatever they may have together. And then they have a better way of marking that co-op and the same thing for farmers and other people who will come together to market their products or services. So that's the different types of co-ops and it, it, the hard work. I've seen it mostly in housing co-ops, but other people have talked about it. The housing co-op, the attitudinal change is going from a tenant to an owner. And that is not necessarily easy, and sometimes the persons will never get it. I'm going to be speaking at a housing co-op in Newark, New Jersey next month, in the latter part of this month. They're, they're celebrating 40 years of their cooperative. Do you know what they wanted me to talk about? What? What does it mean to be a co-op? What does it mean? Because so many of the people there still have the tenant mentality. Now, they could have lived there for 40 years, or it may be new, okay? But they don't understand that if they work together and, and, and forming this togetherness, and that, that if they break something, then you just can't call the landlord and say, fix it, because they own it. They have to fix it. They have to um, take better control of it. And that's why once people know in, in this sort of housing co-op that they own it, they take better care of it because they have to fix it. They also, they don't have the profit motive. So that ends up that the rent is a lot lower in a housing co-op, particularly in 40 years. And I'll be talking about that too indoor, that their rent might be a hundred to $200 in some cases, $500 less than an apartment building down the road because people have been there before and they've kept it down. So this attitudinal change uh, is a lot about knowing what a co-op is. And the other part of it is, and this this I found difficult. I've, I'm working right now to change Oaks Management, which is a property management company that I've owned for 25 years, 22 years, and to change it to a worker co-op so that the employees will own it. And I've been amazed at how hard it is. We've been working on it now for... Well, really, in two years ago, but really hard, really with a lot of emphasis in the last three months. And what I found is that the employees are used to me making decisions, and I'm used to me making decisions. So when I try to get them to come together to make a decision together, it takes a lot of effort because people have such diverse opinions, not 
good or bad or right, wrong, moral or immoral. You know, just different opinions about anything. What's the color of the paint that should go on the wall or what kind of policy should you have in handling emergency calls? I mean, it's just the whole range. You got different, and how do you then get people to work together and not beat up on each other, become uh, cynical or divisive or, or talking about each other to try to get the answer and get the decision? And they're so used to me making a decision, and I'm so they'll come back and say, what do you think? And I'm trying to, or what do you want to do? And I'm trying my best not to do there to help people to get to the place we can make. So this attitudinal change and knowing that your owner, attitudinal change and making decisions collectively, it just does not come easy. Being democracy, we had somebody, being democratic, we had somebody on the line four weeks ago, so ago, talking about that. He called it authentic democracy. Uh, where people really get in and get knowledgeable so they can make an informed decision and then they vote. And President Obama talked about it in Selma that still we have few people voting. We have the lowest voting rate than, than I think any um, freed people. People just don't come out and vote. And I would suggest to you a lot of people come out and vote, just check off the the, 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 the mark. They're not informed. So our too often the people in the citizenship of the U.S., people are not engaged too often. Or they'll just listen to whatever somebody says because of the color of their skin or because of their democracy or their, their point of view and not really get in and find out for themselves. So you can go to U.S. Federation of Worker Co-ops to get information. You can go to NCBA, ncba.coop. NCBA is the National Cooperative Business Association. And they will have uh, links to how you start a cooperative and the whole range of co-ops. So it just depends on if you want a worker co-op, a consumer co-op, a purchasing co-op, a marketing co-op. And there's a different combinations of co-ops. Um, so you can get that information. Um, yep, Thank that you so much for the information, um, Vernon. And thank you so much for the service that you're providing. I listen to your show regularly. And I am quite informed. Education, as you say, is still the key. So I just thank you for all you're doing. Thank you very much. All right. Bye-bye. So when we left off, we we were talking about how hard it was when we took our next, the last break, and we don't have but a few minutes left. We talked about a time in independence, and we're talking with Pat. We just talked about education, training, and information, critical key. Then there's cooperation among cooperatives, that you get all of the different businesses working together. The, the credit unions working with the housing co-ops, the housing co-ops working with the credit unions and food co-ops and down the line. And then there's concern for a community. In a cooperative, because of this one, there's really no need for a department of social responsibility because the co-ops are formed to solve some community issue and then they go back and forth in helping to solve other community issues so it's in the DNA of a co-op, this, this social responsibility. Um, what's best for the workers? What's best for the customer? What's best for the, the land? What's best for the U.S.? What's best for the world? That's what's in it. President Obama gave a great speech. If you haven't uh, heard it, you may want to go online and listen to it. He is a great president. And cooperatives are absolutely wonderful in solving community problems. We'll be back next week to talk to you about everything cooperatives, uh, and the different kinds of things that are going on around the Washington, D.C. area as it relates to co-ops. Thank you very much for listening. We'll see you next.
Thursday.